hot <laughs> and with that we're not off the list <laughs> uh, we've been recording for 56 minutes I mean I have been I haven't stopped the recording at all <laughs> I know the I know the routine at this point I just let it go I just let it go 56 minutes Losing my mind. Yeah, just praying that like my computer is not just going to be like, yeah, we reject this audio. <laughs> Welcome to Off the List. Uh, this is the podcast where we have things on our list that we want to get off of our list, um, namely uh, movies and music. I'm Nadira. I provide the movie selection. That's Ben. He provides the music selection. Hello. So this episode, we have a special fun time um, with a sort of interesting pairing, which is not by content or theme, but by name. So our film is Coming to America, and our album is Diaspora Problems by Soul Glow, which is also probably the most recent album I think we've ever, well, not probably, it, it is the most recent album we've done on this podcast to oh, date. Yeah. But I think we'll start with Coming to America, a 1988 comedy film directed by John Landis, story by Eddie Murphy, who is the main star. Um, I think the screenplay is by David Sheffield um, and someone else whose name is escaping me right now. It stars, of course, Eddie Murphy, Arsenio Hall, James Earl Jones, John Amos, Madge Sinclair, Shari Headley, 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 um, and other people as well but those are the main actors in the film the music was composed by Nile Rodgers Coming to America is a comedy film about an African prince named Akeem who is set to be married when he turns 21 like in an arranged marriage and he decides that he does not want an arranged marriage so he escapes to America specifically to New York even more specifically to Queens to find his future bride get it Queens he's looking for his queen and it's just a classic like I'm trying to find another fancy way of saying this but it's just a classic movie it's my mom's favorite movie of all time so yes I did grow up watching this movie but it is also one of the essential most classic black comedy films that has ever been made that ever exists I don't think there's a single black person that's of an age of comprehension that doesn't know about this film or hasn't seen this film because their parents probably showed it to them. And what's actually really funny, but like my favorite tidbit of information about this film actually is that James Earl Jones and Madge Sinclair, who play the king and queen, um, are also the voices of um, Mufasa and Sarabi in The Lion King. So they actually like play the lion king and queen of the pride in The Lion King, which is my favorite my favorite tidbit it was received well when it first came out it was a box office success um and since then is one of just like the most recognizable comedies american comedies to date um from its 
quotes and its scenes uh, to its music, I think, also specifically. And the sort of connecting tissue between this and the band that we'll get to later is that there is a running joke in the film that there is a, um, a beauty company that specializes in creating like the jerry curl oil like the product that jerry curls your hair and it's called soul glow and the the fake commercial like ad (laughs) for soul glow plays a couple times throughout the movie there's a character in the movie who's he's from money and it turns out that his family has made this fortune by creating soul glow um but anyway it's just a very like the the song that's in the commercial is a very popular very recognizable reference to the movie um i don't know any black person who like if you say like soul glow or sing soul glow they will start screeching at the highest (laughs) pitch they can muster to sing the song and to this day like jokingly perhaps we'll never know but Niall Rogers actually tweeted in 2016 he said in my long career of composing this just may be my single proudest moment hashtag soul glow with the clip a link to the video um so it's it's very the soul glow of it all is very prominent um which explains the sort of reference of the band name for the band that we'll be listening to in the second part of this podcast. But yes, so that is the history of coming to America. I've said how I, well, I haven't really said how I feel about it. I've said how my mom feels about it. I've said how people feel about it. How do you feel about it, Ben? I feel like this is one of the rare comedy movies that got me invested in the story enough that I would have opinions and say them out loud as I was watching it. Like I would be like, like something would happen and it'd be like, fuck yeah, that was great. Or like, and I would laugh at it as it was going. It was just like such an endearing, like fun, great movie that is in like the best way possible, not trying to be more than it is. Like it's like our movie is really funny, really simple and well, simple in a way where like it's really easy to catch on with what's going on. But as we know, it's, Um, hard to write something simple like that so I really thought it was fucking hilarious and I um, definitely felt the weight of my white rural Pennsylvanian upbringing by the fact that I was like so this is what all this is from all this like weird amalgamated like internet (laughs) culture that I have like I I recognize like so many points but I'd be like oh it's from this movie I just never knew it was from this movie it's like the most like parentally online like zoomer thing ever it's like oh yeah i know that i just didn't know it was from this movie (laughs) what do you think was the most recognizable like joke or moment where you were like oh i mean it's definitely the soul glow Mm. like like um bit like that in particular weirdly not even him screeching soul glow but the synthesizer tenor part afterward Mm -hmm. is like very memed so like when that came on afterward, I was like, oh my God, that's what this is from. <laughs> Incredible. That's a very youth. I love that. So I'm so glad I asked that question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just think Coming to America is one of the funniest movies I've ever seen in my entire life. Like I, I just, it's really hard to explain to someone unless they just watch it. Like there's so many moments of comedic excellence in that yeah. film down to like, like operating on all sorts of cylinders right so you have the the music and sort of the the 
non-diegetic sound and also diegetic sound. That's also a joke. Um, you have Eddie Murphy and Arsenio Hall playing multiple characters. When mm-hmm. I found yes. out that Eddie Murphy plays the white Jewish guy who's always in the barbershop <laughs> at the end, like Kaputz. yeah, 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 yeah. I, I lost my marbles. I lost my mind. Like White Chicks is another one of my favorite movies, but that t- two-minute compilation of that of Eddie Murphy as the Jewish guy in the barbershop mm-hmm. alone puts the entirety of White Chicks to shame. And it's also just they utilize all the smaller characters supremely well, too. Like, there's the cashier at McDowell. Well, first of all, just the concept mm-hmm. of McDowell's. McDowell's really is funny. ingenious. But there's the cashier at McDow- McDowell's who's always getting, like, shit on and bumped into. Um, there's Samuel L. Jackson who shows up just to, like, stick mm-hmm. up the place for a quick second. Um, the whole montage when they finally go on dates and all of the women that they talk to is just super funny. It's just super small things, too. So, for instance, when McDowell hosts the party which is really fucked up ends up being like an engagement party for his daughter who was never formally proposed to and never got a Mm -hmm. chance to say yes or no he just met with her rich boyfriend and they decided that they were going to get married without any of her consent or knowledge or approval um so fucked up but they have his family the jerry curl soul glow uh titan family over when they sit on the couches, when they get up and it's just like the imprint of their oily jerry curled hair on the back of the couches, <laughs> I laugh so hard every time. And the amount of detail that you would have to come up with or to have, like the level of detail you'd have to, to have or be aware of to make small jokes like that, like beyond the sort of verbal jokes that you're making. It's just so it's just out of this world. Like they just don't make comedies like this anymore. And I also think like that's not a knock to comedians necessarily. I just think the art of comedy has evolved to something else. But like they really truly don't make comedies like this anymore. And what a shame that is because this movie is just so well done. It's so smart. It's so thought out. And it's just so funny. It's so funny. Yeah, it it's fucking hilarious and i maybe i down i didn't emphasize that enough but like it's rare for comedies to make me laugh much less like laugh and then get invested in the story and like have moments where i am like cheering for certain people in the like it's just rare for like comedies to make me like get that invested and really enjoy it so yeah it's fucking hilarious and then additionally the writing for the story is so clean yeah that like this that like plot carries it just enough to like get you from joke to joke to joke um another thing i will point out um is and this is not a not well-known fact but arsenio is so hot and i feel like he's particularly hot in this movie i don't know what it is about this movie but that single earring did something i love that for you i don't personally (laughs) agree like i think that he's hot I'm just not like, oh, wow, he's hot. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, oh, that's an attractive man. I'm not like, oh, wow. I, that's how I've, I that's how I've always felt about him in previous movies. But this <clears> one <throat> movie, I was like, there's something about this movie. Where the one is. earring situation, definitely working. The mm-hmm. scene where they're they're training, yes. hot in general. Just a very hot yes. scene in general. Um, but I love it. Like, even down to the... When they go to the fundraiser and Eddie Murphy plays the, like, band 
the, like the lead singer of that band, Sexual mm-hmm. Chocolate. <laughs> yeah, I know. Perform the whole. Oh my god! Like it's just it's so funny. It's also I mean obviously this goes without saying, but it's also just black as hell. Like this movie is truly the epitome of like this is how how black people are, especially all the guys in the barbershop and even shit down to like his mom named Clay. I'm gonna call him Clay. It's just yeah. (laughs) So Uh, every conversation is just like that hilarious and yeah, it, it really was just like. it's one of those movies that I I can't even like think of anything that I would want to like change or have different about it I'm just like no that was perfect like that was like a perfect like block experience right there just a very fun romp very hilarious um and also a very cute rom-com like the romance that's at the center of it is well done and cute uh it's a testament to understanding character well I think um that's just really entertaining and cool and fun. And it's mm. just like quotable for days. It is quotable for eons upon eons upon eons. Yeah. It also, and this goes back to like a point I made way earlier about like my familiarity with the content of it instead of the movie itself. You know, this is a conversation you and I have personally had a bunch and one that, you know, I is never like, it, it's a, always an of course, but like, man, like black culture really feeds all internet culture because it's just like, it doesn't matter like what like deep fried part of like Reddit it's coming out of. Like yeah. it, it came from black culture first and it's very, it's just like so interesting to see that reminder. And then also think about the way that like I was diluted from it and how I wasn't ever told like, Oh, this is from coming to America. You should watch that movie. I'm appreciative. You know, that, I now have that kind of background and experience and are able to see, you know, the comedic genius of this movie in and of itself. No, it's really fun. 10 out of 10 would recommend and just listen to the soul glow refrain, like that jingle for the ad. I'm not singing it, but like God, over and over again, I can probably sing it an octave down. Let's see, or a few, because if you haven't noticed, my voice is gone. Yeah. No, I can't. I can't. (laughs) (laughs) That's a perfect that's a perfect cue for us to move on to the other soul blow, which is our album Diaspora Problems by the Philadelphia hardcore punk band Soul Glow, which that's pretty much the whole reason we picked this to give a little bit of background on this band. It was at the time of recording a quartet with the singer Pierce Jordan, bassist Gigi Guerra, drummer TJ Stevenson, and guitarist Ruben Polo. Um, since then, Ruben Polo actually has been kicked out of the band because he had a um, domestic abuse case. So he is no longer part of the band. But even though they're from Philly, like they're a hardcore punk band from Philly because that's where they all live. None of them are from Philly. They're all from like various East Coast cities. And I mentioned this in the previous episode about how it's a little bit difficult to give an album spectrum towards like what it will mean in the future. Um, But... I can certainly tell you what it means right now for 2022. And when I first heard this album a couple of months ago, I immediately knew it was going to be one of the most important albums that was released this year. And to put it simply, they are taking hardcore punk to another level, which might sound, you know, just like, oh, you know, like that's 
oh, sure, like exciting. But like hardcore punk is one of like the most like overwrought and overdone genres that like we currently have because of, you know, in part to its benefit of like its simplicity and like how you can enter the genre. But just there are a countless amount of reductive or for a lack of a better term, just like overly retrospective hardcore punk albums that come out. And so to have a band in 2022 come and squeeze the stone and be like, no, there's still water here. You all just don't understand how to get it out. And the album to be insanely black, to be insanely radical, to make fun of liberals more than I've ever seen any album make fun of liberals. And I fucking love it. And I, I just, I fucking love it. I think it's incredible. I'm actually seeing them live in a couple of days after I record this. And I'm so excited. I think that they are pushing the genre forward. And again, just like taking that stone and proving there's still water from it. I, I think it's so impressive. And Nadira, I really am excited to hear what you think about this. And also what your favorite fucking song titles are. Cause every song title on this album is fucking immaculate. Okay. So basically the TLDR on this is that I listened to it a few times through to make notes on the content of the songs. And I was going to listen to it again, another time through to actually pull lyrics. Then my internet stopped working. And so I didn't get a chance to actually pull specific lyrics like I wanted to, or at least not as many as I wanted to, but my general thoughts are kind of the same as yours. I'm, I was really surprised by how anti-liberal um, this album is and I was surprised by how black it was um, and in terms of what it's giving it's truly giving like fuck intersectionality it's the least intersectional intersectional album I've ever heard in my entire life just like in the sense that the genre is very stereotypically not a black genre but this is very much a very black album and not even much else beyond that in terms of representation and so it's truly giving the least intersectional intersectional album I've ever heard in my entire life which I didn't even know was possible necessarily Mm. I didn't know an album could exist like that where I just define the genre so much with white folks Um, Mm -hmm. and it's truly like the purest form of the genre, right? So it's like the purest form of white folks, except it's also has nothing to do with white people at all ever. I think this album is great. I think it is very impressive. It's just very rare nowadays to not hear something that's a blend of multiple things. And of course this Mm. is a blend of multiple things, but it is also very much just a straight up hardcore punk album. And I love that there's only one track that even brings in like what you consider like modern aesthetics which is stripponomics which might be my favorite song but regardless like it a really good um comment that i cannot take credit for but i fully agree with is that like this album is loud not because of the production and the mixing it's loud because they're playing their fucking brains out yeah, it's also loud because they have a lot of shit to be loud about. This album has one of the hardest just sets of lyrics I've ever heard in my entire fucking life. Like, truly, just go and read. The, and now, can I understand them when they're actually singing them? Absolutely the fuck not. No, I cannot. And I'm not even going to pretend no. like I can. Like, I don't know who that's for, but it's not for me. But <laughs> reading, reading is for me. And so I read 
boy, did I read. And Because they, they pull no punches. And it at no point does any line feel like he doesn't have something to say. And he has so much to say, which is why you can't understand what the fuck he's saying in a song because he's saying it so fucking fast. Like so fast. I'm like, what sort of mouth addiction exercises did you do before you went into the studio and laid down these tracks? Anyway, just from like a craft standpoint, how did you do that? Anyway, I agree, but I also think it's not necessarily what he says and how much he says. It's how he says it. Every line is also a bar. Yeah. You could say two plus two equals four, but instead you're saying shit like niggas are all industry's favorite food. And I'm like, see now. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's not, that's, exponents that's what the fuck that mm-hmm. is like, yeah that, that's not no addition that's that's pem and that's just like and, and he'll hit you with like 10 of the lines that are of similar quality like back to 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 back and it hits you all with this like crazy water like waterfall effect that you're just like smashed to the ground and you have time to like you have to read it to like catch any of it yes yes absolutely and i had so much fun reading it because it's just all so good and i think I really appreciated I really appreciated the well also the artistry of the actual musicianship. I just think that it's an album about some real shit and some real black shit or like some real shit through a black lens or all of the above. And I really appreciate the way that they're able to distill these messages and these feelings truly like it's the feelings into something that's very visceral. And it honestly scares me a little bit. Because I've, I feel like I've just learned to make peace with a lot of this shit. But I think this mm. album is really like, don't do that. You know, like this album is really like, you deserve better than to make peace with this shit. And I'm like, you're right. Yeah. You're actually right. It's like, it's like a call to arms. It's a really long complaint. <laughs> it's um, a moment of commiseration. It's a eulogy. It's appreciation and celebration. It's anti-capital it is very anti-capitalism mm-hmm. um but it also has this like i do okay so dripponomics is one of my favorite like i have two favorite songs dripponomics yeah. is one of them and the way that they're able to thread this line between like capitalism overall sucks but black capitalism is still kind of hot though it's very <laughs> yeah. like I told you I knew you'd I knew you'd fucking love that song because and you weren't listening to it because you're like, oh I'm gonna listen to it in the full album. But I was like, as soon as I heard the muse Telfar in that chorus, I was yes. like, this is I, I this is over. Nira's gonna lose her mind to the song. But it's also like it's like off white Birkin, Telfar and niggas going hard. Like it's 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 very mm-hmm. much like a we spent this whole verse talking about how we hate capitalism. But tell far niggas going hard. Like, yeah. <laughs> like you're right. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's shifts too, so it's not all one thing. Like we were saying, like Dripponomics has one of the only sort of like modern sounding moments. Um, and then I think the song right after that, um, Five Years in My Family, has like a vibe shift in the beginning that I'm like, whoa, what the fuck? Boom, bow down. Yeah, and I'm like, this they, is yeah, very and then interesting. Be- yeah, and they do have that other um, moment on the track list where. That is the things I carry. Um, where with Bearcat, where he's like delivering yeah. the verses over that kind of like lower um, tempo, and they, yeah, they, they're they have really good, like all the best hardcore punk albums. They have breathing moments because you need moments to breathe. Yeah, on, like in the onslaught. There's um the 
what I call the anti-left comfort song, uh, We oh Want Revenge. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is, again, very much like a um, don't be complacent about this shit. Like, you don't have to take this shit. Why are you taking this shit as a black person? You're better yep. than this. Um, which is uh, very poignant and very true and very relevant. Um, and... I just overall really liked it. The last thing I will say is that it wasn't until we got to the things I carry, the things maybe, that I realized how much I was craving feminine representation. Yeah. I mean, oh, the I think the only female voice is Mother Mary Rose. Yeah, I think so too. When it got to like track eight, I was like, it's hard for me to be in this rage and not also have women here but i i still loved it i still loved the song it was just very eye-opening that it was kind of like that moment that hit hit for me and i was very Mm. surprised that it even had that feeling especially so late into the album but i loved it drippinomics is definitely my favorite i think spiritual level of gang shit was probably my second favorite the last song Mm. in the album and i think spiritual level of gang shit is probably my favorite title that and coming yeah. correct is cheaper because coming correct is cheaper. That is my favorite title. Is coming correct is cheaper. That's my favorite title because it's true. You can fuck it's, around because yeah, it's fucking true, and you can find out. But finding out is gonna cost you a dollar. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like it's gonna cost you some shit. Finding out ain't free. Fucking around is free. Finding out yeah. ain't free. Coming correct is a lot cheaper. cheaper. Exactly. And that's yeah, truly how I feel. And I'm also always on the spiritual level of gang shit. So you know, I truly felt, truly felt that. It's really special what they made and what they were able to do. Um, I think it's, it's, I just was not expecting to feel as seen or heard or understood as a black person when I started this album. Especially since, again, for me, we all know, if I can't really understand what you're saying, gonna kind of have a hard time connecting with it. Because <laughs> I got to, to I want to sing along and I got to be able to understand the words and it's got to be lyrical to some extent. But that didn't really stop me from appreciating this this time around. Um, and so, yeah, just really grateful that it, it exists. Really grateful that Soul Glow, the band, exists. Really grateful that they're from Philly because uh, Philly, fuck everybody else. And, uh, yeah, Ben, any other thoughts? No, just I am, you know, so glad that the album had that resonance with you. And, you know, from my perspective of just someone who deeply you know appreciates music's ability to like make people feel seen um it is always refreshing to watch it happen and to see it in action so it's just amazing and i'm so glad that you know you held off and now we can just like talk about it Um, because i have been sending you dripponomics for weeks and you're like nah i'm just gonna listen to the whole thing at once so now i can just we can just talk about it for the next episode, we're we're still on the grind of you sending me trailers and me picking an album off of that. Do you want to describe the trailer first in the movie or do you want me to describe yes. the album? Yeah. I want to describe this movie because this is another one of those. I feel like I say this every time, but it's not actually true. I had a list of like five films, maybe, maybe even less, maybe three or four that I could not wait to show you when we started this whole endeavor. And this movie, which is Dog Day Afternoon, for anyone wondering, and you should be wondering, is one of my all-time favorite movies. I think it's one of the most well-written movies 
I've ever encountered. Um, I think it's one of the most special movies I've ever watched. I just don't know of any other movie that's as well written. Um, and I think it's kind of a sleeper hit. Like, movie lovers love it, mm-hmm. but it's not The Godfather. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so it's not like every movie lover I know has seen it. But the ones who have seen it are like, damn, I wish that I had seen this sooner. And it's just a, a shining example to screenwriters everywhere. Like, I specifically remember one of my other favorite screenwriters who's contemporary and who's contemporary and still writing, Bo Burnham. Um, just one of my favorite, like, creators in general. But especially his writing and his directing. Mm. The, he did, uh, when, in the time that he release, released Eighth Grade, the Eighth Grade, his film came out. You know how the Hollywood Reporter always does those roundtables. So they'll do those actors' roundtables and directors' roundtables. Yeah. Well, that time they actually did a, a writer's roundtable. And they went around and they asked everyone, like, what is a movie for you that was so incredibly well-written that serves as a sort of, like, inspiration to you? And Bo Burnham said, Dog Day Afternoon. And it was then that I knew that I was, like, right in loving Bo Burnham for so long, but also that he and I should get married. Boom. End of sentence. Um <laughs> no it was it's just like it's truly it's truly great it's a truly phenomenal movie i'm so excited to talk about it i've been wanting to talk about it for over a year now because we've been doing this for over a year now um and it's just one of my all-time favorite like when people ask what are your favorite movies i always give basically around three and that's the single one that i don't think since i've seen it has ever changed Mm. like the other two kind of cycle yeah i i will say i didn't know the uh, movie at all and so I watched the trailer, and I I contemplated for a while on what I thought would be a really good album to pair with this, and after some thinking, and you know, I might do it a little bit differently here, but the album is going to be Rain Dogs by Tom Waits, um, and I don't think I really want to like explain why I picked it. It was very much like a gut call for both the fact that like I really think we should listen to Tom Waits um, and also why this movie it was just it's something about the trailer made it feel right but Tom Waits is an absolutely legendary American singer-songwriter this album is from 1985 and Rain Dogs is just a really good introduction to Tom Waits music so that's why we're starting with this one and I'm really excited for you to experience the way this man uses words (laughs) Let's just put it this way. Nadira loving Tom Waits is canon already. <laughs> um, I've only heard a few of his songs, but he is, anytime he's in a movie, he usually shows up unannounced, unexpected, and is always one of my favorite parts of said movie. Case in point, probably biggest example is Seven Psychopaths. Recent example, Licorice Pizza. Mm. I think the movie is mid i think that movie is so mid but when tom waits showed up i was like oh fuck yeah now we're on to something this is fucking tom waits <laughs> so that's uh you know dog day afternoon and rain dogs wait is it called rain dogs we got a dog theme going on mm-hmm. yeah yeah exactly that's what that's i'm not even kidding that's kind of why i picked it over swordfish trombone i love that so much because it's like dog day afternoon is kind of opposite to what i think of when i think of rain dogs in terms of like phrase the mm-hmm. actual idiom so I'm loving this already. Um, we've got duality. We've got juxtaposition. We've got dichotomy. Um, we've got other long words that they teach you in grad school. Um, so 
Anyway, um, that is all of the Soul Glow content. That is Soul Glow's album Diaspora Problems and Coming to America off the list. Okay, bye everyone. Okay, bye. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I need to stop recording. I'm going to lose my fucking mind. That should be the closer of everyone. Off the List is made by Ben and me, Nadira. Our artwork is by Rebecca Pearson, and our music is by Cedric Hawkeyes. Just let your soul glow. Just let it shine through. Just let your soul glow. That's all I got. Um, I'm, I've, I don't have half of my voice is gone. I can't even do that yep. tenor synth sound. It is just immaculate. It's <laughs> fucking perfection. I, it, I wouldn't be surprised if that was a fucking factory preset. Then they just went with it. <laughs>